Bibles, if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 7, Lord willing, we can spend these first two weeks of the New Year's dealing with two different revivals of the Old Testament. This is a revival that is often referred to as Samuel's revival. It took place under that great prophet Samuel. We're going to call it the meeting at Mizpah, the meeting at Mizpah. So if you have your Bibles and you're at 1 Samuel chapter number 7, let's begin by looking at verse number 2. And we're going to read the story, so let's just walk along. The Bible says it was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at kareth Jerem, And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the false gods, the foreign gods, the Ashtoreths, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only. And then He'll deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away the the Baals and the Ashtoreths, and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said in verse 5, Assemble now, all Israel at Mizpah, and I'll intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted and they confessed we've sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was the judge or the leader of Israel at Mizpah. But when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philippines came upon them to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid. And they said, Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord for us that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. And then Samuel took a lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf. And the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a a panic or a confusion that they were routed before the Israelites. And the men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way. Samuel took up a stone. He set it up between Mizpah and Shan. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. And you can look at verse 14 and you see the beautiful results of having this fresh meeting with God. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her. Things are restored that the enemy took when you get things right with God. And Israel delivered the neighboring territories. Influences are broken that the enemy somehow has gotten a foothold in when we get things right with God. And there was peace where there was once strife and fear and turmoil. There was once peace between Israel and the Amorites. Our title is The Meeting at Mizpah. And we're going to break down this message into three short parts. Number one, there's a new beginning. Thank God for a new beginning. Number two, there's an old enemy. And number three, there's going to be a fresh victory. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, a little bit of a background here. Israel, our second verse says, Israel, for a long time, for some 20 years, it had been 20 years since one of their most terrible defeats in their nation's history. It was a defeat at the hand of the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant was lost. The corrupt priesthood of Eli and his sons were judged. And about 30,000 young men, the foot shoulders, were defeated on that day. And for 20 years, they had been oppressed and harassed and intimidated by the Philistines, by the enemy. 20 years of frustration, of dissatisfaction. Then finally, praise God, there was a realization. Finally, after 20 years of frustration, there was a realization. It was simply that if things are going to change, they finally came. If things are going to change, then we need to make things right with the Lord. You know, after all the bellyaching is done and after all the excuses are given, the fact of the matter is when there's a frustration and a disappointment, when there's been a straying, when there's been a drifting, when all the excuses are done, the fact of the matter is if I want it to change, i got to get things right with God. Nothing's going to change until my heart is right with the living God and my ways 
are walking right before Him. We can complain and we can blame and we can point to what this one did and what that one should have done. When all the nonsense is over, if I want a new beginning, if I want a fresh victory in 2019, I must be right with God and my heart must be submitted to God. Somebody say Amen. It was time for the people of God to repent and turn. and It was time for a renewing of their devotion and commitment and obedience. And then hopefully by the grace of God, it would be time of reviving and restoring. We see in our story that number one, there's a returning. They return to a sincere and wholehearted devotion to the Lord. No more shallow commitments. No more insincere devotion. No more inconsistent walk. They were returning to a sincere and wholehearted devotion to the Lord. But they were also renouncing. They were renouncing the areas in their lives that had fallen into disobedience. The areas that were compromised. And they were coming clean inwardly, but also outwardly. And They were getting the conditions right. As God has conditions for us to meet. And as they did that, we see not only a returning and a renouncing, we see a receiving. They received a spiritual revival in the land and in their homes and in their hearts, but also a spiritual revival, but also a very natural restoration and a recovery of things that have been lost and damaged and and stolen since they drifted from their walk with God. I want to thank God this morning that He is a God of new beginnings. Where would we be if He wasn't a God whose throne is called the throne of grace and who allows us to make fresh starts and come back? I thank God this morning. There is a way back if you're within the sound of my voice and you've drifted. You might be here, but in your heart you've drifted. You might be hearing this on tape and you're somewhere where you shouldn't be. But I want you to know that there is a way back. This is the day of grace. If you'll come to yourself and have the realization, the only way I will enjoy life as I ought, the only way things in my life are going to get back to a place of peace and productivity and joy and right, the only way that will happen is when I first get things right between me and the living God. Thank God for new beginnings. Every one of us that knows the Lord, we've enjoyed that. Why is this so important? A fresh devotion to God, a fresh consecration, a real sincere getting serious with God leads to a life of unlimited possibilities. Great is the potential and the possibilities of a fully yielded, surrendered, and obedient life. There is no limit to how God can use such a vessel. D.L. Moody, that great evangelist, the second part of the 1800s, man that shook two continents. He's been dead over a hundred years, still has a church and a college going strong in his name. He heard some words that changed the course of his life. One day a preacher um, preached. A friend said, Moody, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man wholly committed to Him. Those words changed the course of his life. And Moody said, I'll be that man. He laid aside every other thing and said, God, I'm yours. All of me. Every ounce of me. Take me and use me. And this world's never been the same. New beginnings and fresh surrenders. They lead to reviving in our lives and in our homes a restoring, a reclaiming. Whether it's a church, a nation, an individual, or a family. Some of you here today can testify. You know what I'm talking about. The realization that there had been a drifting and a straying and there needed to be a returning to the Lord, a returning to that sincere devotion to Jesus, a a turning and putting your life and your house in order. That realization came to you. And when it did, it changed you. When you responded and said, enough is enough. I grew up in it. Now I've got to start to live it. I've heard it. Now I've got to start 
believing it and doing it. And there are many here today. You can go back to that date when finally you said, Lord, enough is enough. I've got to put you first. I've got to stop straddling the fence. I've got to put my house in order. And from that moment, blessing has flown. From that moment, the course of your life and your family's life has changed eternally and dramatically. It changed you and it affected all those around you. And now you're reclaiming some things that were lost. And now you're seeing in your life how God is restoring many things that were taken. You had a meeting at Mizpah and God has answered your cry. And for some, it was that marriage that others had written off. But now it's stronger than it's ever been. For some, it was children that you woke up one day and they were 10, 12, 13, and they didn't even know John 3.16. And you said, my goodness, my goodness, what have I been doing? But you had a meeting at Mizpah. You had to come to Jesus. And you said, Lord, forgive me. I haven't been leading as I ought to. For now on, I'm going to honor your house. And my home is going to honor your... And you made that decision and hell fought it and others laughed at it but you made that decision the Philistines came but you made that decision and God honored your faith and God's worked in your life and you look around yourself now and you say my goodness how far have we come in just a few short years once we let God be God in our lives Oh, I'm telling you, He's a restorer. He's a reviver. When all the excuses are done in this present generation, it's time to say, God, I'm going to make things right. I'm going to stop with the excuses of this convenient age. And I'm going to give Jesus Christ priority in my life. I'm going to seek first His kingdom. And I'm going to watch God begin to restore and revive. And I'm going to reclaim what the enemy has taken. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The meeting in Mizpah. Number one, it brought a new beginning. A new beginning. Verses 2 through 6, there's a new beginning. For 20 years, there's been frustration. There's been defeat and disappointment. But it led, but it led, but it led to a hunger for God. It led to a realization. Until there's a realization that things are not as they should be. The person just stays in their lukewarm state, their, their, their backslidden state. But a hunger for God is a starting point. It's the prodigal that came to himself. And finally there was a realization that God has more than this. There is more than this. Back at my father's house. There was a realization. And the Bible says in verse 2 how they sought after God. For 20 years, they said, we're supposed to be God's people. We're broke, busted, and disgusted. We're supposed to be God's people. And here we are struggling, and we're laughing stock at all those around. They're laughing with the backslider. They're laughing at you, whether you realize it or not. And they think it's pathetic, because you should know the way, and you can walk in the victory, and you can claim the promises, but you choose to live at a low state where the enemy toys with you and plays with you. I want you to know Jesus said, I come to give you life, and life more abundant. I come to make you strong and I come to make you vibrant in the things of life. For 20 years, the Bible said, and they sought God. They were hungry. They had a realization. Samuel, we need to get things right. These Philistines aren't supposed to be lording over us. But Samuel qualified their hunger. Samuel qualified their hunger. They were hungry, and that was good. That was a starting point. But just being hungry and frustrated with my circumstance and my situation, how many know that's not enough? Tell your neighbor, that's not enough. Now, some people bellyache. Some people want to blame someone and leave. No, 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 don't leave. No, not yet. Hunger is good. But the hunger has got to bring you to repentance. That hunger has got to bring you to surrender. That frustration, not, not, not an excuse. But a surrender. You see, Samuel qualified that hunger. He said, if you really want God, if you're really serious then, a new beginning, he said, verse 3, let's put away some things or let's rid ourselves of some things. The idols or the sinful behavior. Because after a hunger, there has to be a willingness to come clean and put aside the things that have damaged that walk. 
and have brought in the, the, the corruption. A person has to prepare one's heart to really make progress with God. The idols, the hindrances have to be removed if one's really going to go forward in God. For only the pure in heart will see Him and know Him and enjoy that relationship with Him. If Samuel was to speak to the church of this modern hour, he would say, if you mean business, then put away the false gods of this age. Put away the mixtures, no more mixtures and no more immoralities, no more serving many masters of convenience and, and compromise and tolerance. Let the bales of, of pleasure and, and, and prestige and self-indulgence, let those bales be put aside. And it's time to turn away from, from anything that would keep us from having the living God as, as the passion of our lives and as the master of how we live. It's time to deal with those things that have made God somehow back there as merely an advisor, but no longer before us as King of kings and Lord of lords. If Samuel was speaking here today, he'd say it's time to serve Jesus with all your heart and with all your life and put away all the rivals and set aside all the idols and the affections and the actions that would separate us from His best. That great preacher Charles Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher of London in the late 1800s, he looked at this verse. It's amazing how you can read something over and over again and it's right there in front of you until someone shines the light on it. He says, it's interesting, they sought the Lord, but they still hung on to their idols. They wanted God, but still wanted to sleep around. Oh, They wanted God, but still wanted to make an excuse why they never honored God's house. And they cannot, they wanted God. You read it. They sought God passionately. But then Samuel says, well, if you mean business, get rid of your idol. If you mean they were seeking God, jumping up and down, some of them were trying to act spiritual, and they still had their idols. It's amazing the mixture that's allowed in the present day. Oh my goodness. The meeting at Mizpah. It was time for a new beginning. But a new beginning can't come until there's a realization. I need to get things right with God. And then we hear the conditions of heaven. Say, if you really want my best, if you really are hungry for a change and to be restored and to be revived, then there's certain things that need to be laid aside and there are certain attitudes that need to be put at the cross and there are certain um, obediences that have to start being practiced. Put away, put away, put away, put away those things. They sought God, but they found out there were conditions to meet if God's blessing was to flow again. That's why you often see the stray relative of yours. So if it's my house, it would be my relative. They come once in a blue moon and get so convicted because they know things are a mess. They come and they bawl and they squall. Of course, they're convicted because they know things aren't like they should be. But then the next command of getting rid of the idols is a problem. It's when they leave and you don't want to get out that living boyfriend. You don't want to stop drinking and smoking, etc., etc. But let us be known that if we're going to go forward with God, it's no time to be folding around. There's no time to um, just kid ourselves. God says, I am God. And if you want all of me, I am more than willing to pour out my, my spirit upon you in fresh and great measures. I am more than willing to walk with you in intimacy and closeness. But you will have to lay down that which grieves me, that which disobeys me, that which is a clear contradiction to my word. Somebody say amen. The meeting at Mizpah, they started out with a hunger for God. Oh, Lord, give us a hunger for you. It was born out of frustration. It was born out of desperation. It was born out of the realization. And I want someone to get a realization. God has something more for you. God has something better. Hunger for God. But then there was a willingness to come clean because once they begin to express their hunger, the prophet said, let me qualify this hunger. If you really want God... We see that in, in, in verse 3, and Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, he said, if you mean business here, then rid yourselves. King James, put away. How many of you know when you get serious with God, you got to put some things away? You can't have Jesus and everything else. Is that alright to preach? I mean, we used to preach Bible, but you know, I know not today we've made an idol out of numbers, so if, oh Lord, I don't want to go down that road. Let's just read the Bible. We'll play it safe, alright? Verse 3. 
Now, see, the people are mourning. They're seeking after God. Now, you know, they're seeking after God. Don't, don't say anything that'll offend them. They're seeking after God. That's how we would think, wouldn't we? They're seeking after the preacher. They're seeking after God. They're seeking after God, aren't they? Just let them do it. They're seeking Samuel, verse 3. He's going to qualify this. Good to seek after God. But he said, now listen, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, if you're mean in business, then rid yourselves. Then put away foreign gods, asterisks, and commit yourselves, commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And then he will. Praise God. Then he will. As we meet the conditions, God says, then look out, look out. I'm going to thunder on your enemies and I know how to throw them into confusion and he will deliver you. Oh, my. Oh, my. Now, the beautiful thing in verse four is that the people did respond. The Bible says, so the Israelites put away their bales and they served the Lord only. They gathered together. They humbled their hearts and served the Lord. Characteristics of a true revival and a true returning. Whether it's a church or a nation or it's an individual or family. After people are, the frustration and the agitation, the realization that I need to get right with God, then after that, finally hearing that I need to set some things aside and make some changes if it's going to be real. From there, 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 there is always the characteristic of a fresh hunger to seek after God and to press into God and to praise God. And there's a new effort and excitement and a commitment to the house of God and the Word of God and the service of God and the sacrifice of God. And we notice what they did in verse 6. We notice how they responded here. In, in, in verse 6, when they assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted and they confessed, we've sinned. We see, number one, there was humility. The meeting at Mizpah, as we position ourselves that God might work His perfect work in our lives, as we position ourselves that we might go forward into the richer, deeper things of God, as we position ourselves that God can begin to restore and help us to reclaim things the enemy has stolen and damaged, begins with the humility, the humbling of a heart. The Bible says that they poured out water on the ground. That is symbolic of pouring out one's heart. That is symbolic of repentance and humility, of a humbling of oneself. He's coming clean. He's saying, oh God, I need you. And oh God, I want you. Oh God, I'm helpless and I'm powerless to bring about change apart from you. And I want to get back on track, Lord. I want to make things right and I want a new beginning. You see, it's the humbling of a life that positions a man or a woman that God can begin to move in them. It's the humbling of our hearts that positions our lives to receive the flow of His grace. That can do what nothing else can do. In the Old Testament, they said it's simply like this. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. If they'll seek my face and turn, 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 put away those other things. Then I will hear them because I want to respond. Then I will heal them because I want to set them free. Then I will rain upon their deserts again. And we see that again, this act of humility. I'm not going to point fingers. I'm not going to blame God or life. I'm going to humble my heart and position myself that God can work in me and work through me in any measure, in any dynamic that He desires. And God, listen, listen, God is attracted. There are certain things that conduct and don't conduct. Can you say amen? I don't know my left hammer from my right hammer, but I know enough. Certain things that will conduct, certain things won't conduct. Certain things the magnet is drawn to, certain things there's no power at all. When we study our Bibles, one thing we know about God, like a divine magnet, God is attracted to humility. How many times in the Bible? He, he resists the... Gives grace to the humble. Like a divine... He's attracted to that. You want God's grace flowing into your life? Humble yourself. In the Old Testament, the prophets of my people who are called by my name, humble yourself. Seek me. Get rid of the things that are... And come. And I'll heal you. And I'll hear you. And I'll help you. In, in the New Testament, Peter picks up the same thought. He writes to the people uh, in his epistle. He says, now, because God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And I want that grace. 
Do you want that grace? It's a grace that will heal a marriage. It's a grace that will calm a troubled mind. It's a grace that will restore a broken life. It's a grace that will take you and set you free from those things that try to torment you in the middle of the night. It's a grace that can transform and restore and revive and make things whole again. But if I want that grace, First Peter 5 and 6, he said it so well. He says, therefore, church, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's not enough. No, don't let life humble you. You humble yourself. Say, God, I come clean. It's a meeting at Mizpah. It's a new beginning. It's a laying aside. I might have been leaning on my own strength. Leaning on my No, 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 no. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. And I surrender afresh. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And as I do that, the Bible says that He may exalt you. That in that due season, God says, I'll lift you up and I'll restore you and I'll work in you. And you will look back to that day when you met me with a sincere heart and a full surrender. And you will recognize that was the beginning of the restoration and the healing and the revival. And they humbled themselves before the Lord. If you want the grace of God to flow, I need the grace of God to flow, so stay humble. Keep that position of humility before the Lord that the flow of His grace and His river will never cease. Then there was a discipline. They fasted. It has to be a discipline. When we begin to get wholehearted with God, there are some things in that old nature that will say, this isn't comfortable. There are certain things and habits that we picked up that some people want God till it gets uncomfortable to seek after God. Some people want God's best as long as you praying on the prayer line, but when it comes to me paying the price for it, well, I don't want to. No, 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 no. The meeting at Mizpah says there are going to be some things that might, you might groan a bit when you break off that relationship. You, you, you might feel a little bit, ouch, when that old habit that you've allowed to almost addict you has to get broken. You see, some people, when it comes to discipline, that's almost like a dirty word in this culture. But fasting represents the discipline. Fasting represents the dying of self. Fasting represents we're going to lay down anything with us. And God, have your way. You can scrub me. You can prune me. You can break me. You can consume me. Have your way. I am thine, O Lord. There was a humility and there was a discipline and there was a confession as they began to take ownership. And it was no longer a shallow thing or a surfacey thing, but they were taking personal accountability and responsibility. First John 1 and 8, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And if I want a new beginning, I have to take personal responsibility for my own life. I can't blame it because mommy wasn't nice to me or daddy wasn't there when I was 12 years old. I can't blame it on the church. I can't. I have to say, Lord, I confess my sins to you. I want to come clean. I want the forgiveness that only you can bring. Allow nothing shallow or superficial to be in your Christian experience. Turn away from the attitudes that are merely surfacy or ritualistic and get genuine and real. Because that is another sense that we position ourselves. It's the coming clean of confession. They're saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Adam never said he was sorry. It'd be interesting to find out what would have happened if he did. He never, I'm sorry. Lord, I blame this one and I blame, I'm sorry. Lord, I should have known better, but I'm sorry. I did it. I'm guilty. But thank God you forgive the guilty. It's that type of attitude in response to God that positions our life to receive the grace of God's working, His healing, His revelation, His encouragement. It's the rejecting of God's Word. It's the rejecting of God's conviction. It's, it's, it's the rejection of, of letting go of the idols, etc. that hinders the grace. But oh, when we come with a sincerity of confession and humility, the grace of God begins to flow. The grace of God begins to work. Psalms 51 and verse 17. God says it so well. Prior verses, He says, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need all this. You're going to give me this. You're going to give me that. 
God, I'll tell you what I really want. I'll tell you the starting point of it all. And this is so wonderful. Because when God has this, He'll have your money. Can you say amen? When God has this, He'll have your attendance. I'm telling you, if God has this, the sacrifices of God. The new dance step. No. No. The sacrifices of God. The hidden angel dust. No. The sacrifice of God. What is it that God desires as, a, as an, a sacrifice that pleases Him and blesses Him? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Oh my. When a person gets serious with God, God gets serious with them. This is the new beginning. The meeting at Mizpah brought a new beginning. Because God honors sincere devotion, repentance, and renewing. And God is more than willing to restore and revive and rebuild such a life. The meeting at Mizpah brought a new beginning, but it also stirred up an old enemy. <laughs> you see in verse 7 that as soon as the Philistines saw Israel was gathering, they got nervous. They thought maybe they were gathering for war instead of just meeting with God and crying out to God. And the Bible says that when the Philistines heard it, they assembled and uh, the Philistines started to come in on the attack. I want you to know this morning that not everyone is pleased and supportive when you choose to get on fire for God. You need to write that down. You need to write that down. Sometimes people in your own family, they like it better when you're lukewarm like they are. But when you get serious with God... You see, a new beginning brought about an old enemy. (laughs) Don't be surprised by it. Don't be afraid of it. Stand firm in your faith, those of you that are going to be serious with God. Those of you that are saying, I'm going to go wholeheartedly for God. Continue on in your obedience. You've come too far to turn back now. And there's nothing more important than your walk with the Lord. As precious as marriage is, even marriage isn't more important than your walk with God. As wonderful as children are, even children are not important as your walk with God. There's an enemy without that will try to uh, insult and attack and frustrate a life that's trying to really be serious in pursuing God. And there's also an enemy within. There's old emotions and there's old attitudes and there's old affections that will somehow be uh, 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 insulted by a new consecration and a fresh devotion. You know, you watched that show for 20 years when you were backslidden. And then all of a sudden you got right with God. And all of a sudden God said, turn that junk off. And you knew in your heart, but in your mind, there's part of you wanted to watch that junk. Part of you still wondering, did Susie um, jump back in, in bed with, with Johnny? Do you want all that junk you let in you for all those years? But now God's saying, enough is enough. You're calling me Lord now. And that junk don't go on in my temple. Come on, say amen. And so all of a sudden now you're finding there there's some things within. You see, we blame it all on the devil without, and we know he's got his share. But there's also some battling within that has to be laid down. Woo! Happy New Year. Hallelujah. I want you to know that your revival, your, someone say my revival. You need a revival. I'm telling oh God. Your revival and your sincere devotion to Jesus is a danger to the enemy. Some of you that are in your 30s and your 40s, let me give you an example. Your new beginning, your fresh surrender, your sincere commitment to Jesus Christ is affecting grandchildren you don't even have yet. Because of what you're doing, because of the stand you're taking, because of the changes you're making for the glory of God, there are generations you have not seen yet that are being affected by it. For hell knows. I like to say hell knows more than the casual Christian knows. The power and the influence of a sold out man or woman of God. Within the new beginning is a power to affect generations and nations. The other day, when you walk looking, you're seeing three rows of the grandchildren that show up on the holidays. You look over there. It would have been not a very hard thing for that whole generation to be lost. 
had one life decided I'm giving up on it. Forget Mizpah. Forget being sold out. Forget the narrow road. I'm just going to be frustrated and blame the world and blame this and that and do my own thing. When someone says, sink or swim, let hell throw everything they want. If i got to walk this road alone, just me and Jesus, we're going to walk it alone. My parents don't understand. They, they, they can do their thing. If my wife doesn't do their thing, I'm making up my mind. I'm having a meeting with Mizpah. I'm getting serious about God. I'm getting rid of the sin. I'm going to be devoted if i got to walk it alone. And somewhere along the way, God sees such a consecration. Somewhere along the way, God sees that broken heart. Somewhere along the way, that cry through drenched tears reaches the heavens. And somewhere along the way the God of heaven begins to thunder at your enemies like He thundered at the Philistines. The God that rules the universe begins to send confusion into that spirit that is trying to destroy your faith. And there's a breakthrough. And there's a blessing. And there's a marvelous victory. And that enemy that came out one way, God says they're fleeing seven different ways. And you look back now and you see the result and the fruit of one good old meal eating at Mizpah, and one determination to say, Lord, regardless of what others may do, I'm going to serve You, I'm going to walk with You, I'm going to please You, and God has blessed your life. Think about Leo. Grandchildren, great-grandkids, they'll all be in hell. You didn't respond to an altar. Angel. Came a time you said, enough is enough. I need to get back to what I know is right. And generations you haven't seen yet are going to be preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. Declaring the word of the Lord. But she said, enough is enough. i got to have a meeting at Mizpah. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, my, 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 my. I'm trying to tell you. God. Let us not be surprised or afraid when the enemy resists our advance. When he tries to frustrate our commitment or discourage our dream of seeing that family whole and that marriage peaceable and that life consistent again. He'll try to distract devotion for he knows the sold out believer is a great danger. To the devil's kingdom. There was a meeting at Mizpah. It brought about a new beginning. And it stirred up an old enemy. (laughs) And even though we cannot avoid the enemy. Even though we're not exempt from the trial. God will give you a fresh victory in 2019. If you learn how to make a fresh altar. And make a fresh devotion and walk it out. Oh God, oh God, I'll lay down what I gotta lay down. I'll change what I gotta change. But I'm looking forward to a year of victory, to a year of advancing, to a year of enlargement, to a year of possessing the prize. There's gotta be a fresh victory. Psalm 34 and 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but thank God the Lord shall deliver us out of each one of them. If you're Going on with God, continue to cry out and continue to refuse to turn back because you'll find out the battle is the Lord's battle. If you'll continue on, even when you see your your best intentions be attacked and not applauded, your best efforts will sometimes be be thrown back at you instead of uh, um, rewarded and accolades as as Israel tried to get right with God and brought out the enemy. But they found out that our God is a God of war and He'll fight for His people and He'll defend the righteous. And as you walk into a new year, I declare to you, if you'll keep crying out to the Lord and keep standing on His Word and keep walking in obedience in the same way He He thundered at the Philistines. He'll thunder at your enemies. In the same way He brought confusion into their camp, He'll bring confusion into the camp of your enemies. He'll break the power of the oppressor. He'll smash the arrow of the accuser. He'll break it. He'll break it. He'll break it. There was a 
new beginning and there was an old enemy. And there was a fresh victory. And then after the victory, the Bible says that Samuel picked up a stone, called it Ebenezer. It's a shame that Ebenezer has a bad connotation, but it means a stone of help. That means a memorial to the help of God. Then Ebenezer, he set up this stone as a memorial that the people could always remember what God had done. And they could always look at it and know what God would continue to do as they trusted Him and as they believed Him. We have a Ebenezer of sorts. We have a memorial. We have communion that was left to us by our Lord. That we look at it and we are reminded when we look to Calvary how God has helped us and God has delivered us. And God has come through to us. But also when we look to it, we're reminded that God will continue to keep us. And God will continue to hold us. And God will continue to shepherd us and finish the work He began in us. We look at communion and we're reminded of what happened back yonder just like the Israelites could be reminded when they looked at that Ebenezer stone how God had thundered and God had delivered them and God had given them a new beginning. And we look to the cross of Calvary and we remember that day when each one of us bowed our hearts and as Jesus into our lives, we remember that new beginning, but we also look at it as we get comfort to walk into a new day knowing the One that redeemed us will never leave us and never forsake us. Blessed be His name forevermore. We think of the love of God for us and the commitment of God to us. And as Israel could look at that stone and remember past victories and be encouraged by the present reality, you and I, We look to the cross of Calvary and we're reminded what He has done. We're encouraged by what He shall do. Hallelujah. I'm going to look back into 2018. I'm going to look ahead into 2019. Wednesday night, powerful time. Power of God was all over. Power of God was all over. Power of God is all over. I mean, forget it. We didn't need old catchers. Amen. They're falling. I mean, they're just out. You give the catchers a day off. We ended by singing a precious song. And we're going to do this as we transition. I look back in 2018. Looking ahead. 2019. One thing I can be for sure. God has been good. God has been good. As the men come and musicians come, let's begin to sing, everybody. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Let's continue. God is good. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for a wonderful year. Lord, we've gone through trials. We've gone through tests and challenges, but You've been faithful and You've been good to us. That we know. And we recognize, Lord, as we live in this fallen world, that this coming year it will have its challenges. But we declare ahead of time, You are good and You shall be good. You were good when You sent Your only begotten Son to die on that cross for our sins. Shed His blood that whosoever will that will leave the old and cling to the new can have a new birth and become a new creature. We recognize that if you loved us that much when we were sinners, how much more? Now that we're sons, now that we're saints. And we look forward to this coming year. Recognizing you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. Recognizing that the blood has never lost and will never lose its power. Recognizing the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And you will give us all the strength we need to face what we have to face, to do what we have to do. We look to Calvary with grateful hearts. We look to Calvary. And our hearts are touched when we think of the mercy of the Lord who loved us. The grace of God that forgave us. 
the compassion of a Savior that looked beyond our faults and saw our needs. Look at that cross. And we're reminded of the great love of our God. That eternal love of our Savior. We're reminded that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And the work He began in us, He will complete it. We thank You for the cross. We thank You for our salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we bless You, Lord. We bless You, Lord. to us in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. A new year deserves a new consecration. A new year deserves a new consecration. We're all coming from different backgrounds. We're all facing new seasons, different ages, different experiences. What do we have in common? It's a new year. And if you're a Christian, it demands a new consecration. When we think of all that he did, we think of the cross and the broken body. How can we do anything less than say, Lord, I'm yours. I thank you for what you have done. And I offer myself afresh. Do what you need to do in my life. Use me as you desire. And let my life please you. Jesus took that bread. And he said, the bread represents my body. He gave his body for you and I willingly, lovingly. No one forced him. He didn't have to. But the great love of God that offered Himself for you and for me. It shows His love. It reveals how He values us. And He cares so much for us. Let's remember His love. Let's remember His sacrifice. And let's take this with grateful hearts and surrendered hearts. Father, we thank You for Your only begotten Son, the Lamb of God, that gave Himself to be beaten and bruised, that we might be healed and we might be forgiven. We receive this now with humble hearts and hearts of great gratitude in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says that in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we, we look to that shed blood and we sing about the power of the blood. And our hearts are overwhelmed when we think of the mercy and the grace of the blood of Jesus. That each one of us knows our own story. We all know where we've come from. We all know what we've gone through. We all know how wonderful the blood of Jesus has been to each one of us. When we say God has forgiven me, only we can say it with a personal oh, love and awe and overwhelming joy because we know what He forgave. We know 
how much He's done in our lives. So we think of the blood of Jesus and we are so thankful of that sacrifice and that power and that mercy. But it also reminds us this day that He shed His blood not only that we would be saved, but that all that from the ends of the earth would hear the gospel and could call on the name of the Lamb of God. And as we face a new year, we look back with grateful hearts, but we look ahead with submitted hearts, surrendered hearts, that say, Lord, use our lives in this coming year. Use our lives to carry forth your gospel. Use our lives, O Lord, that your blood would reach those that haven't heard of it yet, that your blood would transform lives that have not yet opened up to it. So as we receive this, we remember the great love of God, but we also remember the great commission of God. It's His will that none perish. It's His will that all should hear. And we make it our responsibility to offer ourselves for Him to use in that endeavor. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your shed blood. Every one of us is so appreciative. Every one of us that knows what it is to be forgiven. Every one of us that knows what it is to have a new beginning and a fresh start and be cleansed and made new creatures. Every one of us, Lord. We thank you. We thank your hearts overwhelmed with thanksgiving. But Lord, we also make a fresh altar, recognizing others need to hear, others need to receive, others need to know you like we do. And we make this altar saying, Lord, in this coming year, use our lives. Use us to witness. Use us to tell the story. Use us to support others that are. Use us, Lord. To carry on the message of your grace. We thank you. We love you. Until you come, we partake with grateful and surrendered hearts. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for a new beginning. Thank you, Lord, for a wonderful future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, as the People saying, I know it's a little later than normal, but if you need prayer, we're more than happy to pray with you. But sing it one time through before you take off. Nothing's that important. Focus on the blood. Make a fresh surrender for a new year. A lot of us have walked with God a lot of years. A lot of years. Take a breath. Take a breath. The game will go on for three hours. Take a breath. Amen. Thank the Lord. Thank you, man. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yes, yes. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. God's been good. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We're going to open these altars. If you need prayer, please come and pray. If not, sing it one time through and just make that fresh consecration. Then have a blessed and fruitful new year. Let's worship the Lord. These altars are open. Let God touch you.